0: Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. My name is Brooke McCallery.
1: My name is Ben McCallery and good day to you and welcome to episode six. Thank you. No problems. Today you talk to a doctor.
0: I do. I talk to Dr. Clinton Schultz, in fact.
1: And what's Dr. Clinton Schultz a doctor in?
0: He's a doc- doctor of psychology, um, but actually, the reason that I first came across Clinton and his work is through his startup, uh, Sober, which Sober. is the best non-alcoholic craft beer in the world. I'm just going to say you've, it.
1: You've you've tasted every single one of them, and this is <laughs>
0: I have. I've tasted every single non-alcoholic craft beer in the entire world.
1: I feel like we've tasted every single non-alcoholic craft beer in Australia.
0: Yeah. I'm actually curious whether it isn't as big of a movement elsewhere as it is here, because I really mm. feel like it's gaining steam in Australia.
1: Well, the fact that there's so many mainstream beers now offering alcohol-free beer, like just this week I saw that James Squire's offering a yeah, zero. That's like, gr- I mean, it's, it's great. It's, it's good. It's good, I guess. It just means that the good doctor is onto a good thing.
0: Well, he certainly is. So, yeah, I, I first came across Clinton... Because, uh, as you probably know, if you've listened to this season or maybe even last, I stopped drinking alcohol a year ago, a bit over a year ago Yeah. now, and um, came across... Hey, I was
1: congratulations on a year. Thank you.
0: <laughs> had you told me five years ago that I could do a year without drinking alcohol, I wouldn't have believed you. That's
1: a huge achievement, particularly the year we've had.
0: Yeah. 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 And I feel like that might be a conversation you and I have on the pod later. Let's do that. Let's do that in a
1: couple of episodes.
0: Okay. Sounds good. Uh, So I was researching what options, because I stopped drinking like a month before Christmas. Mm. And for a lot of people, I'm sure that wouldn't be a big deal. But for me, it felt, I was nervous about all of the social engagements all the time with family, you know, everyone kicks back, has a drink or several, and I knew I didn't want to, but I also didn't know what I could find that would give me the sense of ritual without drinking any mm. alcohol. Mm. Um, and that's how I came across Sober. And their reviews were amazing. So I ordered like a mixed carton and have, I was completely blown away. I was I had, blown away. Yeah.
1: It was, it was, it's incredible.
0: It's genuinely delicious. So if you are someone who is like he was looking to cut back on um, alcohol, and you like, but like a good the beer? taste
1: of beer and the different varieties. This like, is not just
0: like a lager. No, the,
1: if you like a good IPA, you will find it with Soba. Yep. The waddle seed.
0: No, the waddle seed's like a um, a lager. It's a golden oh, is that lager. Pe- so yeah. the IPA is a pep- pepperberry. Pepperberry, oh, so good. Yeah. So the other thing is, they use um, native food ingredients in all of their brews. And um, Clinton is a Gamilaroi man who lives uh, up on the Gold Coast, and they partner with providers of native foods. You know, my favourite is the Davidson Plum Sour Ale. And my
1: favourite is the
0: <laughs> yes, sorry,
1: uh, uh, it's the finger lime um, cervesa. Yes, beautiful.
0: Yeah. So you know, anyway, all that to say that I I love the beer. But I actually even more love what they're doing with their business model, um, which he and I get into in quite great detail in mm. today's episode. Now, I will say that when I hit my 12-month not drinking alcohol anniversary, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. I wanted to celebrate. And the way that we celebrated was by actually buying into Sober. So earlier this year, they actually um, created an equity crowdfunding offer, which is something fairly new, I think, in Australia where, you know, you're able as a private investor to buy into a company in a small part. And for me anyway, it's more about supporting what those companies are doing. And that's something that we invested in earlier in the year. And I just wanted to mention that um, because I think it's important, but also because I think it's a really interesting way of potentially shifting the way the economy works, Mm. right? You know, I think that there's something really powerful there in working almost personally. I mean, we're one of many hundreds of people who have who've done this. It's not like we're any big stakeholder in this business, but mm. you know, to have that kind of insight into way into the way um, these really intentional, positive-minded, community-minded, um, people-centered businesses work is really inspiring.
1: Do you talk about this business model, like the, the approach that they're taking? We do. Or... Yeah, we do. Because so it... the, the way that a lot of craft breweries the world over have, have sort of built their business is essentially they've they been bought out by the big players. Yeah. So it'd be really interesting to hear what Clinton says about that.
0: Yeah, we talk about the tension, I think, that um, he faced from potential investors mm-hmm. when they heard that growth, like profit, was not their overarching... Um, Prerogative, yeah. It's about community. It's about giving back. It's about, you know, protecting and developing relationships with country. And, uh, you know, I think it's really fascinating and important as a white Australian to look at all the Indigenous and First Nations people who are creating these incredible businesses. And support them, you know, because I truly believe that if we're going to repair our relationship as a country, but with country as well, you know, from an environmental point of view, I think it's vitally important that First Nations people take the lead. They've been here for 60, 70, 80,000 years, you know, um, and we have so much that we can learn. So, I yeah, I'm really quite passionate about supporting businesses like Mm.
1: SOBA. H, yes.
0: So, obviously, I will include links to all of that in the show notes, and I will also include this recommendation. If you're looking for a nice beer this summer, <laughs> try the Davidson Plum Sour from Sober. This
1: sounds so much like an ad, but it, it's not.
0: You know, it, it's actually really no, not. No. Um, It's not at all. It's just something that I'm genuinely you're, impressed you're by. You're a fan of. I am. In,
1: in a lot of different ways. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. So uh, I really hope you enjoy our conversation One quick thing before we get into it The audiobook for care is now available Out now? Mm-hmm. Like literally
1: been, today I think I Or think yesterday Yesterday,
0: yeah I think that it has been a long time coming And I'm grateful for everyone's patience Because uh, as you know There was a few life circumstances That got in the way of the recording of it But um, it's out It was recorded in my wardrobe and it is ready for your ears.
1: The there's a competition that I'm just making up now. If you could, if you can identify and uh, name how many different birds there are <laughs> in the background.
0: You know, I think that we're <laughs> underestimating the skill of my audio engineer. Totally, I, yeah. I
1: was just I'm just being funny. But you know, if you do, just let us know. I can almost
0: guarantee you it's our neighbour's rooster.
1: <laughs> Enjoy the episode.
0: Clinton, hello. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me along. No pleasure. Thank you for joining me. Um, I have to say, I'm very excited. Uh, I've been a, a very um, vocal consumer of your <laughs> your your product over the last 12 months, and uh, yeah, to talk to you is is brilliant. Because I guess I just want to say thank you, first of all, for Sober and for the the product that you guys are putting out into the um, into the marketplace, because I feel personally like it has made an enormous difference to the conversations around choosing to cut back on drinking, alcohol, or you know how to show up sociably, have a drink and not have to deal with the after effects of getting on the booze. So just a word of appreciation, I guess, to start start things off. No, thank
2: you, Brooke. and it's it's always great to get that feedback. Um, you know when we started this back in two thousand and seventeen, we we didn't know what kind of uh, reception we were going to get from australia going into mm. the non-alph market when there was no non out market in australia so having had the opportunity to see that the shift in mindset of many australians over such a short period of time has been an amazing journey to be a part of
0: yeah and it has been i mean i feel like um so last year i, I quit drinking in november for health reasons and i feel like the conversation has shifted dramatically even since November of last year, for me anyway, um, and the conversations that I've been having with people. And I think that you guys are definitely a big part of the reason because you've made something that tastes delicious.
2: Hopefully. We'd go out of business pretty quick. if um, totally. <laughs> so, you now One of the best reactions we ever get is when people don't drink beer and yep. they take a sip of it and they go, ah, it tastes like beer. And I'm like, yes, I did my job.
0: Nailed it. <laughs> So I guess, um, you know, from what I've read of you of of what you do, part of the reason that you kind of came into being as sober is to destigmatize and have those conversations around what it can look like to have a different relationship with alcohol. Was there a catalyst for for you guys personally to, that kicked that that whole exploration off?
2: Yeah, definitely. The whole sober brand is basically built around my ongoing ongoing live journey. So I stopped drinking. It'll be seven years this Christmas, and I really did that because I wanted my children to have an opportunity to learn something different—to to to, mm. to learn that you can socialize without drinking, that you can enjoy yourself without drinking, you can dance without drinking, you can you can go to a kid's birthday party. You don't have to have alcohol present at it to to be able for people to be able to enjoy each other mm. and to enjoy environments and events. And I just really didn't want my kids growing up thinking that what. I grew up thinking was normal was was normal, and and I think unfortunately for many of us in Australia, that has been the normal experience. Is that alcohol is associated with every social engagement that we enter into, from young adulthood through to our death and beyond. Now everybody at our wake will be on this as well, so it doesn't even stop when we're 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 in a box. So it's just didn't sit right with me. Um, I. I'd had a pretty unhealthy relationship with both drugs and alcohol for a long period of time. And being a psychologist, I absolutely know that the best way that I can be you know, a positive role model for my kids is to actually do that, is to role model. it. So instead of just going out and telling people you should live a healthier life, if I want my own children to grow up thinking that that's a real thing and that they can be empowered with that choice, then I should be prepared to do it myself.
0: Mm, You know, obviously, if you don't want to kind of dig into your own experience, please don't feel like you need to. Um, But I know for me, like I was really afraid, right? Because there is a huge amount of social currency in sitting around getting on the drink with your friends and like things like dancing, things like going to a party and not drinking terrified me because from when I was a teenager, like that wasn't something I did. Um, Was that, is that something that you find yourself pushing up against with people who are having these conversations and who are curious about, you know, less and
2: less less we're having that problem, but definitely in the first couple of years when I stopped drinking, you know, it was 2013, I think, or whatever it was. So um, it was very unnormal, un-Australian even to, to be the guy who doesn't drink, you know, that the rhetoric of, I don't trust a guy who doesn't drink was very still familiar and strong. And, you know, every, every engagement that, That any of my friends were involved in was based around alcohol. So it was quite socially isolating when I first decided to stop drinking, but I kind of expected it. So I was aware of what was going to happen. For me personally, I took it on as being able to really differentiate between those who were really my friends and wanted the best for me and my family, and those that were just leeches that loved to me to laugh at me as the party animal.
0: And that, I mean, that's a huge kind of shift in in self-identity and um you know the the inner work I guess which I imagine as a, a psychologist was something that you were you would have been aware of of happening. You know, was there a lot of inner work that came in that came into play as you were making those those shifts?
2: My healing journey has more been based around allowing myself to to return to our ways of knowing and being as as a Gamilaraay man, you know, our ways that are all positive based and, and alcohol is not a part of that. You know, mm-hmm. the, the negative coping strategies that we put in place often today aren't the way that we've coped with adversity for 100,000 plus years. So allowing myself to actually return to what has worked for us for 100,000 plus years and to apply that into a 21st century as sort of scenario is what allowed me to undertake this journey. That'll be very different for other people. I think the most important thing is finding your purpose. Why am I doing this? And, and it needs to actually go beyond the self. So for me, again, it was, you know, very much about I wanted something different for my children. So therefore, I needed to change.
0: Yeah, I think that question um, of why, like finding your why is so, so powerful in whatever, you know, whatever changes you're talking about, but particularly in this, because I feel like once you have a, a why that goes beyond the self, you're able to make decisions based on that. You know, you reflect, is this decision, is this yes or no going to get me closer to that why or further away from that, um, from that why? Yeah, I think it's incredibly powerful. I, I guess I want to change track a little bit and talk about COVID. Did you find that the conversation around alcohol or even your customer base changed as a result of, or at the same time as COVID kind of hit?
2: We've seen two things very clearly with COVID in the market, and that was a higher consumption of alcohol mm. and an even higher you know, per capita rate increase of people choosing not to drink. Um, mm-hmm. So we had those poll ends. You had people who were really implying those, those negative coping strategies, and, and alcohol is one of those for many people. It's readily available and, and it's known. But then you had a whole bunch of people who had a whole bunch of extra time on their hands to really consider what they're consuming. And and so there's more people who are choosing not to consume alcohol and, and to, to make better choices in terms of, I guess, facing the situations that um, many people have been stuck in over the last year and a half.
0: Mm. And personally for you, and so you and your partner run Sober Together, is that right? Yep. And as a family, how, I mean, what did you learn about... Um, I guess, balance and, you know, where your time and energies and priorities are going as you had your kids presumably at home with you and, you know, you're balancing this booming business. What does that look like for for you guys on a day-to-day basis?
2: Look, it's really hard for me to comment on that stuff here in Queensland. I think we have been extremely fortunate in Queensland and I never want to take away from the experience of New South Wales and Victoria particularly. And we we haven't experienced lockdown. You know, we have three days here or four days there, a couple of times over the last eighteen months. Other than that, our lives have been pretty freaking free. So I hear a lot of people up here complaining, and I think they should be stepping back and actually reflecting on what's happening to all our fellow Australians below our border, because um, we really haven't had the impact when it comes to, I guess, uh, personal freedoms. That many mm. others have in terms of business, uh, it's it's been difficult. You know, Queensland relies on the majority of the Australian business, which actually lies below the border. It's largely in New South Wales and Victoria, so it's been very difficult for Queensland businesses, particularly here on the Gold Coast where we're based. But from a personal perspective, there hasn't been many intrusions on our lifestyle at all. I've been able to go surfing or go to the beach or go to the park or take my kids to to sport and pretty much the whole way through you know we had a couple of weeks where the kids weren't at school and then we had one more week this year where they couldn't go to school but outside of that yeah as i said we've had freedom and uh, i don't want to take away from you know the real experience of lockdown that's occurred uh in other states so
0: i appreciate that answer um also i think i might move to queensland (laughs) (laughs) many are The, the housing prices here are ridiculous i bet I have no everybody doubt. wants to come up here now. you are just talking about surfing. <laughs> I'm like, yep, all right, I'm coming. So I guess in a broader sense then, um, and the reason I'm asking about this is because i'm I'm so fascinated by how you know the world asks a lot of us, particularly you're a business owner, you're a parent, you're a partner. Um, more broadly speaking, particularly of you as you've seen your business boom, do you and your partner and your, like, do you put boundaries in place? Like, I guess, how do you honour the space around family or do you integrate everything so completely that you don't necessarily feel like you need to have lines in the sand between, um, you know, work and home and everything else?
2: In the earlier days, I think everything was quite integrated. You know, sober, as I said, is an extension of my life. So it, it was not really an imposition uh, on it but as it's grown obviously it's become more company heavy uh, and it's taken more time and, and resource of both myself and Lozen, particularly Lozen now this was my dream at the, at the beginning of the day and Lozen's had to put aside a whole bunch of her own dreams and aspirations to, to really help me drive this forward which I'll forever be grateful for and hopefully one day we'll be in a position where where I can pay that back to her you know where she'll get the opportunity to do the things that she actually loves. We try and have boundaries, but we're not perfect. You know, they blur. You know, we had a big Barney today over, over some business crap. Like well, that stuff's always going to be a part of it. But we'll hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll we'll deal with it, we'll get over it before we go home and 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 spend time with our kids. So we try and keep those things separated. But mm. I've always said, you know, I work a lot in the space of organizational well-being. And I'm always saying to people, it's impossible to leave work at work and home at home. You're the same entity no matter where you go. So it's better to acknowledge where those frustrations are because then you're not triggered and putting them on somebody else in the other environment. So if I know we've had a rough day here, well, I'm not going to pretend that it stays in these walls and I'm, I'm going to allow it to be present when I get home so that I'm not, you know, taking it out on my kids or mm. furthering it in the in the home when when I get
0: home. So I guess for anyone listening who that that mentality of, you know, a very definite line between work them and home them, Um, you know, removing that somewhat is appealing. Do you have any advice, I guess, as a psychologist, as someone who works in that sort of wellbeing space, do you have any advice on how to start bringing that that barrier down, but still maintaining some sort of healthy separation?
2: It's all about acceptance you know i have to accept i'm an entire being no matter what environment i'm in so if something in one environment has been eating away at my well-being well that's still going to travel with me so if i'm accepting of it i'm more aware of it i'm therefore less likely to be triggered by other things in the next environment i'm in and blame those i'm able to actually assign it where it belongs um rather than going you know going home from work frustrated and then your kid wanting to play Lego and you're like, I don't want to play Lego, I've had a hard day. Well, your kid doesn't know you've had a hard day. They just want to play Lego with you. So if I know that that's what I'm bringing home, then I, I can keep the blame where it belongs mm-hmm. and I can play Lego. Um, so acceptance is is the real core of it for me.
0: Yeah. Shifting back to sober, I'm really curious about the ingredients that you use in your recipes, because I mean, as I said, they're absolutely delicious. Um, But also, I love that, uh, you know, you utilize native foods and bush tucker in your recipes. Um, Is that something that was intentional from the outset?
2: Absolutely, it was an intentional move for us to incorporate our native foods into what we were doing. You know, everything that we've tried doing this business has been about how can we highlight the beauty, the positivity, the wonders of us as First Nations peoples in our societies and cultures. So introducing our our foods into these products is just one way that we are able to achieve that. I've always wanted people to see our traditional foods as everyday foods because I think that will get us on the journey of getting rid of some of the stuff that shouldn't be here, that's Mm. just so bad for our environment, whereas the foods we've always had here, uh, they're great for our environment and they're great in terms of farming because they're so used to either floods or drought or whatever else the climate wants to throw in different regions at different times so I think as we build that industry it'll allow us to actually not only help out so many different First Nations communities around the country in terms of being able to have sustainable uh, enterprises in this space but it'll it'll help country And, and as First Nations peoples that's that's it. That's what's at our core of our being is being caretakers for countries. So this mm. is just one way that I think we can put that in place.
0: I went to an event with um, Beck and Damien from Wandu a couple of years ago, uh, and Damien specifically was speaking about you know the importance of um, sovereignty, and as First Nations people and um, you know particular countries have particular relationships to certain. Foods and you know, as a consumer, as a as a white person who is also a consumer, um, of your products, like, what do I need to look out for? For um, you know, other are there instances, I guess, where ingredients are hijacked? Um, and you know, how do we ensure that we're supporting organizations that are supporting our First Nations people um, Mm -hmm. rather than kind of taking taking you know money from those communities. Yeah,
2: they're deadly that lot over at Mandu. I
0: mean. um,
2: and as I said, I think this is a real opportunity for us as First Nations peoples to actually have a space in an economic market while maintaining our cultural connection, our our story, our law, which actually is attached to all those things that most people just see as food. Mm. So I think it's it's vital that we are we are assisted and provided with the opportunities to maintain those connections and to have our space in that economic market we're always t- being told we should be a part of this market but then we get cut out of it so there's a lot of unethical practice out there and it's very hard for first Nations businesses to get a foot in the door in this space when all the lands already been stolen and somebody else has their orchard on it yeah um, or you know a family already has a bunch of money or, or a commercial organization already has a bunch of money to go and put towards, you know, planting out natives on in a certain area. So it can be very difficult for us to get our foot in the door. There's only about 1% of the whole native foods industry that is actually owned or managed by us as First Nations peoples, which I think is is problematic. Mm. Um, and hopefully we'll see some shifts in that moving forward. But being a capitalist society, you know, it's it's very, very hard. Unfortunately, Capitalism is based on notions of of individualism and and, and processing of me and now. So what's best for me and my business now and not what's best for others across time. So it's difficult to have these conversations with many businesses who are still functioning from that level of self-gain and greed.
0: And I think that's one of the very obvious differences to me when I look at the way you've structured your business is at the heart of it is um, it's not individual. It's not, you know, capitalism making profit over everything is certainly not at all um, something you seem to um, prioritize. It's giving back. It's, um, you know, the work that you do with the sober um, initiative. So can you tell us a little bit about that, I guess, and, you know, where that philosophy, I think you've already touched on it, but where that philosophy of collective thought and community care, um, you know, comes into play in the business?
2: Yeah, you know, as a collect- collective based peoples, First Nations peoples, we're some of the most collective based peoples on the planet. So our processing is more naturally based around wellness of self with other and place across time. So it's just about how do I apply that in business? And I think that's that's just good, good business and it should just be seen as good business for for everybody but unfortunately it's not because it doesn't get you the maximum profit right um and, and so you know as you're aware we went through, we've been through an investment round recently and we've gone through small-scale private investment rounds in the past where it's very difficult having conversations with people about hey guess what give me invest in us and I'm going to give away some of your money <laughs> you know those so, those conversations don't always go down so great <laughs> But it should be good business. Like I'm constantly telling people, I don't I'm, we don't have a marketing budget. We've never had a marketing budget. I have a social initiatives budget. I do some social good. Every media outlet on the planet wants to know about it. I get the attention. the marketing's done. So it's actually good business and it allows me to fulfill uh, our purpose, which is to look at how do we give back, how do we promote um, the positive aspects of our culture, how do we support healing programs that can't get support and, and then the other things we do while still having a profitable business.
0: Has there been a lot of pushback in those conversations? Because I imagine that, you know, saying, well, sure, we could grow and become more profitable, but this is actually our priority, would be really kind of confusing to some um, potential investors. What what are those conversations like you know is it something that you're able to talk through with people or do you find that there's a line in the sand some are like well you know good luck but that's not i'm a pretty
2: straightforward guy and i pretty much have those conversations up front of this is who we are this is what we do if you want to if you believe in this and you want to be a part of the journey then we'd love to have you on board but if you don't that's okay Mm. just invest elsewhere (laughs) because we're not going to shift from what we actually do and yeah that's meant that some people with you know, significant capital have walked away from the table, and and that's okay.
0: Yeah. Um,
2: we're not going to be shifted from our purpose and our values and why we started this business just for the sake of of gain at mm. the end of the day. So, yeah, and you know, even at a at a more individual level, it's 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 just difficult sometimes to help people understand that things like employee well-being should come before maximum profit you know like uh, I could I could have a bunch of high functioning employees who could get a whole bunch more done than I necessarily have at any one given time but we're actually about assisting people on their healing journeys Mm. so I've got to invest in my people as well as much as I'm willing to to give back to to community and um, those conversations can be very difficult as well for people who come from corporate backgrounds who just want to see KPIs being ticked off day in day out and think that that's the measure of success. Rather than, you know, taking somebody who's suicidal through to being employed nonstop for over two years, that's a measure of success for me. I don't, I don't really care if they're hitting the KPIs day in day out.
0: And I, yeah, that's right. And I think redefining success on a personal level, but also on a, on a business level is so important. And I don't think it's, that's a conversation that I certainly, I've certainly heard much of. Uh, It's really refreshing to see you as an individual, but also your, your company, you know, putting people first and it's just, it's a human centered approach and I don't see where there's, you know, I don't see the downside.
2: Yeah. And I want to, it is, it's tricky. You know, I, and then that is because we, we have this entrenched individualist society really invoked into us from a young age. So it's mm-hmm. become so normalized that we don't even think twice about it. And so people often are just processing, okay, what's going to benefit me? What's going to give me self-gratification right now? And, and that doesn't necessarily always work out for the collective, which is our society as a whole. So, you know, we're even seeing that at present with things that are going on around vaccination and not vaccination for me as a first nations person it's not a question of should I or should I not get vaccinated personally it's a well if I get vaccinated will that help me protect my collective and if it drives me a little womber and there's a 5g connection to my brain or whatever so be it I I really don't care as long as that means I can go out to a community and I can know that I'm not going to potentially make a whole bunch of our elders sick freaking hell that's that's a much better decision for me yeah. To know that, hey, I've got to get a little jab, and I can potentially save some of our elders, our our knowledge keepers. So it's just a different level of processing um, that hopefully will become more normalised as Australia opens itself up to to allowing itself to learn from First Nations peoples.
0: Absolutely, and I think that that um, you know that collective mentality that you spoke to earlier is something that I would love to see you know continued in conversations um, because. I mean, I, we we see what individualism and the rise of individualism gets us. And again, you know, the, I don't see the downside to collective thinking. I'm really curious about the idea of care and what that looks like for you personally. You know, uh, I, I, I very much come from the place that um, caring for the self is incredibly important because it allows us to then feel fueled and and ready and able to care more broadly Um, is that something that you spend time focusing on for yourself in terms of I mean self-care is a term that I have a bit of an issue with but broadly speaking um,
2: yeah, no I think self-care is ridiculously important but mm. when you flip the switch and you do it from a collective lens it's about the importance of me self-caring is I can be the best version of me for that collective if I self-care if I burn out, if I become unwell, then I'm I'm lesser of me to be able to give back, to be there for others. Mm. So self care is integral is an integral part of being an effective member of a collective. It's when the self care is just done on that individual level that I think it becomes problematic and it becomes commercialized. So it moves away from from wellness and and more to commercialization. There's there's a difference there. So yeah, for me, it's always on processing. Okay what is it that I need to do so that I can be the best version of me for if I'm at work for my employees if I'm at home for my for my kids and my wife if if I'm doing the work that I do for the communities that I work with so I'm processing self-care based on I need to be full to be able to give out
0: Mm, yeah absolutely I mean we the, the cliche you can't pour from an empty cup right um do you have any practices that are specific to you that that you return to, you know, or rituals that that help you feel that kind of sense of replenishment? Yes, yeah, for,
2: for me as a Gamilaraay man, there's nothing more replenishing than being able to be on country and dance on country. Can't do that at the moment. My country's in, you know, what now is known largely as New South Wales, so It's been a long time since I've actually been able to go home and dance on country, but that is the most recharging and reviving thing for me. Every cell in my body recognises as soon as I enter country and the healing starts as soon as I enter that space. And and the longer I keep myself there and the more I allow myself to actually connect with with everything that's present on country, then then the more I actually can get recharged in the shorter amount of time. Um, When I'm here, it's about, okay, how do I apply some of that same learnings? to whatever environment I'm in. So I I maintain very strong connection to the natural environment of wherever I am. If I can't be on my country, well, I want to acknowledge and be connected to the countries that I am on. So that's about being respectful of traditional custodians who have kept the place beautiful forever and a day and have afforded me the opportunity to be in a position where I can connect to that country. I've then just got to ensure that I allow myself the time to go and do those things, you know? Mm. Western society is full of blame and excuse. So, you know, when people go, oh, I'm too busy. Well, if you're too busy, that's just an excuse. Make time. None of us are too busy. <laughs> right. We're not good at time management. <laughs> um, not too busy. We, we procrastinate. Um, we spend too much time. On, well, I don't because I don't even have social media, but most people are spending far too much time on social media, watching freaking one of the 10 different versions of streaming TV or or anything else. And then saying, I'm too busy. I don't have time. I'm like, well, what about the five hours you just wasted on Netflix? Like you could have done 20 minutes of meditation, 20 minutes of visualization or connective practices in that time could have spent that time engaging with another human being. Mm. Not so much for those that have been stuck in lockdown, but definitely up here where I am, there's nothing stopping me go having a coffee with
0: a mate and saying, "Hey, mate, how's your week been? Is, is are you okay?" Mm. Um, I think it's a really important and simple distinction to make, though, right? That it's not necessarily a lack of time, but a lack of time management. For
1: absolutely.
0: and tech has a huge role to play in that, you know. And I, I applaud you for being someone who doesn't use social media. Uh, it was, is that something you've like never, never been engaged with?
2: And the last personal, like I've got LinkedIn because I have to use it for business. But outside of that, the last personal social media platform I think I had was MySpace back in, I don't know, whenever, whenever that was around. Like the OG. <laughs> undergrad uni or something. I don't know. But yeah, I've had nothing since then. Um, I don't know. Working in the space that I do, I've seen the damage that yeah. that it does for people. I think social media is great for business. And, and it can be used in a really violent or a really effective manner and, and positive manner, in again, in business. Um, but, yeah, at a personal level, I've seen a lot of damage um, being done, particularly with young people. Mm. And so I've just always, it's one of those things, if I'm going to tell other people, get off social media, then I'm not going to be on it myself. So I can't stand hypocrites. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, and I, I just think, you know, as you said, talking about your children in the beginning of our conversation, People learn from what we do rather than from what we say, right? I'm often asked, you know, how can I bring my husband or my family or my kids along with me on this kind of journey to slow down? I actually don't think you can. You can't force anyone to change, but you certainly can be the example of the benefits of those changes. And I think that's incredibly enticing to people.
2: Yeah, and I started that process young, you know. Like my kids have never had iPads or phones or all these sorts or, or video game consoles, um, so they they actually don't think they're missing out on anything because they haven't had it to have it removed. Mm. Um, so I think it's very it's definitely more difficult when people young people have had access to these things and have become absorbed by them to then disconnect from them um, because they're addictive. You know, they that the, the chemistry that happens in your brain is very much the same as as it is with drug abuse um as it is with with gaming and with social media um scrolling so it is addictive and and if kids have unfortunately formed those addictions then they're going to struggle with with having that broken but by observing others around them being able to go through that and do it in a positive way then that gives them the option to choose something different yeah some of them may choose to follow that some go stuff that I'm staying on my game but if they're not Even provided the guidance and the choice, then there's no there's no different path to take.
0: And it's all about planting seeds too, isn't it? With those sort of options. It may not be an immediate shift, but you know, over time, sometimes those seeds kind of take root months and years later. We never really know what kind of an impact that And,
2: and like with any addiction, you know, if you're going to remove a negative coping strategy, you need to have something positive in place to replace it with. So it's no good removing the things that our kids are currently coping with away Mm. if we're not going to help them put something else positive in place, you know, so if we're not going to help, if we're going to say, well, you're going to have less screen time, but I'm not going to do anything with you. Well, yeah, they're going to feel lost and they're going to feel frustrated because they're still going to have stuff they feel they need to cope with. If it's, hey, let's get off the screen time and let's go for a bushwalk. And, you know, we might only be able to start by doing a short bushwalk. And then we just slowly build that bushwalk up. Next minute, you know, you're spending six hours in the bush and kids are loving it. But if they're not shown that there's more positive alternatives, then they're not to know. We're products of what we've had the opportunity to learn and experience leading to what we know.
0: Yeah, I guess the last thing you want to do is create a vacuum where, you know, it all kind of starts to fall in on itself because there's a void there. Yeah.
2: Mm. And if you can't tell a smoker to stop smoking if if you haven't helped them to actually deal with the reason why they're smoking. It's it's not going to happen. So um, it's no different when we're working with anything else, social media, TV, any of the other coping strategies we put in place as human beings to not have to deal with our lives.
0: Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess to to kind of round out, I'd be really curious to ask you, if you put on your, you know, most optimistic um, rose-coloured lenses for a minute and look at the, the mission and the philosophy at the heart of Sober, if you could see the ripples of the work that you're doing kind of expand out to their fullest potential, what would you love to see the shifts that, that are happening, you know, in society look like as a result of the work that you're doing?
2: On two fronts, on the, on the alcohol, no alcohol front, I'd love to see non-alcoholic choices become normal. Just be accepted as normal. People not to be questioned on if they are or not, are not drinking. People not to be looked at funny when they're out and they have a non-alcoholic drink. For it just to become a normal. So choice to be normal on that side. On the, on the On the wellness side, I'd love for people to be allowing themselves to learn from us as First Nations peoples and the oldest healers on the planet about what it is to be well and to be well with others in place.
0: Well, I mean, I can only speak for myself, but in this kind of very micro, <laughs> micro situation, I feel like, um, you know, that's something that you've already succeeded at doing. I'm incredibly grateful, as I said at the beginning of the conversation, incredibly grateful for you and the work that you're all doing um, and also for your time today. Thank you.
2: No, thank you very much, Brooke. It's been awesome.
0: No, it really has. It's been a brilliant chat. Um, now, people can go and find out more about you at sober.com.au um, and I'll link to your Instagram and website in the show notes. Uh, but, yeah, thank you again, Clinton.
2: You have a good day. Who is that? Hi, Puck Pass.